Our walk home. Join good friends Amy, Aaron, and Kate as they take a deep dive into the world of sugar addiction. Three women who found the strength to tackle their own addiction through community, courage, and commitment. Each episode will tackle a new subject, offering a little guidance and inspiration as you take your own walk home back from the edge of addiction. Hello, I'm Erin, and uh, we have taken a little bit of a break from doing podcast episodes because one of the benefits of recovery is we learn how to live life. So we've been out living life, uh, but we're back together again and really looking forward to um, having the conversations with each other that we enjoy so much. What we thought we would talk about today is um, some ideas of of the big differences that recovery has brought into our into our life. Where have we noticed the the biggest changes probably? And we'll see where it takes us. So good morning, Kate. Good afternoon, Kate, since you are in the UK. Hi, Erin. Hi, Amy. Hi, everybody. I'm Kate. Um, where do I begin? Well, I was born into a filing cabinet in 1965 and adopted shortly thereafter. And honestly, I've been a sugar addict ever since. And I'm so grateful that I found my way into recovery, meeting you guys, and that my symptoms are now in remission. These days, I get to pay it forward. and I get to guide and inspire other sugar and processed food addicts into recovery. I've trained with Swedish expert Bitten Johnson and with Dr. Georgia Eady, an expert metabolic psychiatrist. But my real passion is relapse prevention therapy, bringing hope to those who keep saying yes when they really mean no. Hello, I'm Amy, and um, I like to take a holistic approach to helping other addicts heal. And I'm Erin. I uh, realized that uh, I had real addictive tendencies uh, earlier on in my life and and just didn't ever do much about it, was able to survive enough um, that I didn't have to. Uh, my my uh, bottoms that people talk about, you got to hit rock bottom before you come out, um, wasn't ever anything that um, I wasn't court ordered to deal with it. I didn't lose my house. Um, but I was miserable and everybody around me was miserable as well. And so finding recovery has uh, really allowed me to be the best version of myself that I can be. Um, I'm a pediatrician in Alaska. And I I think the inner work that I've done in recovery, which I think everybody should do recovery work because it's so amazing what you discover about yourself I think has really helped me see into other people a little bit deeper as well. The the fog has been lifted. Um, and I think I'll, I'll start with saying that that's probably the biggest difference in recovery that I noticed was clarity of thinking. I really was blown away just a few weeks into it, how much clearer my mind was. I was getting more tasks done around the house. I was... Uh, seeing things in my life in a different way. I was coming up with new solutions to problems that had been plaguing me for a long time. I didn't realize how foggy I was until I got out of the sugar and the grains. 
and the processed foods, it absolutely made the biggest difference for me. Um, and it, it leads into the second difference was I had the ability to respond instead of react. I was able to have a situation come up where I normally would have just lost it and been anxious and worried and therefore turning it and yelling at my kids. Um, and I could just move through it and say, all right, I can get through this one step at a time. What do we have to do next? Um, so much so that my daughter turned to me once during a, a trip when the airplane was having issues and delays. And normally I would have been a mess about we're going to be late and how, you know, what's going to happen with the bags. And, you know, I would have been seven steps ahead of all the terrible things that could go wrong. And I just said, all right, well, I guess we just have to wait. Hey, look, there's some seats. That's wonderful. Let's just go sit down and get our books out. And my daughter looked at me and she said, who are you and what have you done with my mom? And uh, it just made me really realize that I was different. And it was absolutely all because of getting out of the sugar and the processed food. Um, so I don't know about you guys, but pretty major differences for me uh, that I cherish in this new life that I found in recovery. Well, I'm going to start small and I'm going to talk about Perhaps my first biggest thing, which was chucking out the weighing scales. Oh, the tyranny of the scales, because they ruled my life for over 40 years. If I weighed even like a pound either side of where I wanted to be, if I hadn't lost weight when I was knee deep in another diet regime, or even that experience, I don't know if you've had it where you're sort of watching your weight gain, watching the numbers grow, and you feel totally disconnected from the data. It's almost frightening, you know, watching these numbers get bigger and bigger and just not understanding what's happening with your body. It was like a kind of self-inflicted torture, those scales, and I did it to myself day in and day out. Over what? Um, a measurement, a number. Coach Dave Wolf calls it a measure of gravitational pull against the earth, you know, and so what? And yet that device, flipping heck, it ruled my life. Letting it go was the start um, really of everything good in recovery. And the crazy part of it all was this message that I actually got from Bitten Johnson yesterday, and I've stuck it to my wall because it's like a mantra. She said, if you focus on your weight loss, you lose your recovery. But if you focus on your recovery, you lose the weight. So I was paying attention to the wrong thing, but it ruled my life. And, you know, nowadays I wonder, looking back, and actually they have reappeared in the bathroom because my husband pulled them out of the dustbin where I chucked them annoyingly and put them back in the bathroom. It's just I don't pay attention to them anymore. But I think now looking back, I wonder if there was some sort of really crazy addiction at play with regard to the weighing scales. Was it the red dog playing his tricks? Almost like an addiction to that little um, jolt of pain. When I saw that number on the scale, it caused some sort of dopamine release and a corresponding urge to bring things back into balance by eating something sweet and delicious. Like that jolt of pain was a cue that triggered a feeling, usually of hopelessness and how bad am I and I'm a broken person and I'm doing something wrong. 
and an urge to stop feeling like that, which I knew I could obviously achieve by eating something. And you know how that vicious circle just perpetuates itself. And, you know, at some point you just got to get off that hamster wheel. So daring to get rid of the scales, daring to walk away and not weigh myself every morning was a huge turning point in my recovery. And I'm going to nominate that as the very first of my three things that made a difference. Thank you for sharing, Kate. Um, I I have to explain a story to get to my turning point in recovery. Um, About 30 years ago or so, I hit a very big clinical depression and I knew I I knew it wasn't coming from a situation in my life. I didn't feel I had a mental illness that was causing the depression. I felt something was changing in my body and in my brain and I couldn't understand it. But what I, I did understand was while this was happening and while I was barely functioning because I was so depressed, all I wanted to do was have sugar and eat things that I normally would not have eaten. So I was wondering at this time, how did this happen if I'm stuck here doing things that I know I shouldn't be doing um, and my brain is telling me not to do it, but I'm doing it anyway, is is this something that's happened from eating sugar that led me to this point? Because at that point, there was the low fat, craze and everything was um, really high in sugar because everybody was saying, don't eat the fat. So in order to keep the food flavorful, there was so much sugar. And when I stopped to think about what I had been eating before this depression hit, I realized so many things I was eating actually did have so much sugar in it, so much more than before I was even conscious and aware of this. So my big depression hit I knew what I wanted to do and how I needed to get out of this, but I was having so much trouble. So that started, um, that sparked my interest in neuroscience because I was trying to figure out how you could want to do something, but you can't do it. Like, how can you want to go somewhere? How can you want to help yourself? But yet you're, you're not, something in your body isn't allowing you to help yourself. So this set me off on a whole big path. Um, the psychiatrist wanted to give me medication. All I kept doing is going to Barnes and Noble and getting books to give to my psychiatrist to say, I don't need medication. I need you to read this. It's the sugar. I need help with the nutritional aspect of my life, not the medication. They, any doctor I spoke to disregarded any book I brought in. So I just, I took it upon myself. I read every single book in the past 30 years. You could possibly read about this sugar. I took classes. I even went as far as going on a a retreat to Italy, a wellness retreat. Um, And what was my turning point after reading and learning as much as I possibly could about this um, was understanding that this is something, this is something not right in my brain. Some people can call it a brain illness. Some people don't like to call it that. Um, And it didn't matter how much I learned and how much I read and how much I know that got me here. My turning point and my big aha moment was learning 
that this all was an addiction and so many programs, so many classes, so many places I've been to help myself um, didn't really get me anywhere until somebody actually said to me, well, what are you doing or what aren't you doing for your recovery? Because I was seeing so many people heal in the groups I was in and I wasn't healing and I couldn't understand it. And then I realized that all of these people coming to these groups and doing doing all the work are healing because they're doing the work. And I'm just <laughs> getting all the knowledge I possibly can, but I'm realizing I'm not spending time on waking up and doing the work. I'm spending time on learning every single thing I possibly can about the brain, neuroscience, addiction, the connection. So that was my moment when somebody said, what are you actually doing? I said, oh my goodness, I'm an, I'm an addict just like everybody else here. And although I was never in denial about being an addict where some people may be in denial, I guess my denial was that I had to do the work to get better. So all of a sudden, after all of these years, I realized I need to be consistent with the work I'm doing. It needs to be a routine and I can't stop because once I stop doing the work, then I fall back into a place I don't want to be. So that was my moment when I realized Somebody asks me um, in Sugar X, well, what are you doing or what are you not doing? And then that light bulb went on and I realized every single day I need to be doing, doing, doing. It's the action and it's not the knowledge. And that was that was just a huge aha moment for me. And since then, I have been taking action and it's made a huge difference in my life. I love I love that awareness. I mean, you go back so long, Amy, with knowing what what the what the problem was. I mean, long before you know, I'm not sure a lot of physicians still get it to this day, but um more than when you started on this journey for sure. And um you know, I what what I was thinking of is maybe you were addicted to knowledge, you were addicted to the research, you know, in like you said, you needed to turn it around to that work, but you found another outlet for this more, more, more. If you were getting away from the more, more, more of the food, um, and early on, that was probably one of my biggest realizations: was this is a brain issue. This is not my fault. That saying of "I'm a a sick person trying to be well, not a bad person trying to be good," was huge for me. And um, I think that that awareness for you that you have to turn it around and actually put in the work is is so important. I had this nine months of really good abstinence to the point that uh, six months in, I had a half a cup of fruit thinking I can I can do this. Maybe it was a cup of blueberries. Either way, it was a, a cup of fruit and I lost it for an entire day. I was crying. I was right back to I'm this terrible person um of you know life is hopeless everything is going to be terrible and i thought this is insane I, a cup of of food has made me feel this way and i was able to have that awareness because i had such a, a good stint of time out of the food and i had been doing the work i'd been doing all these worksheets i was working on how i spoke to myself i was working on not taking things personally i was um working on my organization. I was working on 
um, just how I wanted to show up and the intentionality in my life and and all of those things. And then the food hit me that one day. I was like, this is insane. So I went back and had a few more months of really clean eating. And then life got to be too much. And my dad was in the hospital, terminally ill. I thought for sure that would be the time he would go. I was at my childhood home by myself because my mom was staying in the hospital with my dad that that hospital stay because it just felt different. Um, so I was at this, you know, the scene of the crimes where they all began that that refrigerator at age four that I was standing in front of um, guzzling sunny delight, looking over my shoulder, knowing that if somebody caught me, this was wrong, what I was doing, right? Um, different refrigerator, same location in the in the in the kitchen. Um, and it got to me. And I had done such a good job visiting them in those previous months, just staying out of the pantry. That was not my food. I would keep my soup on the counter. I would keep my veggies and my prosciutto and my eggs in one particular shelf in the refrigerator. And I just stayed away from the rest of it. And I lost it that one night. And I got back into the food. And that was all, you know, that was nine months ago. And I've struggled ever since. And I think one thing that blows me away about this disease that I've realized over this last year is um, there's so much more than the food. It's that recovery work that you were talking about. It's that taking the scale out and and not looking at it because everything in life is trying to get me to pick up my drugs, no matter what it is. And whether it's a substance or a process, life there's always a chance that that addictive part of my brain will tell me the best way to handle this is to use. Um, and uh, that's a huge awareness The the scale goes up. What's the point? I'm not, I'm not losing any weight. I might as well just give, give in. The scale goes down. Wonderful. Now you can celebrate. You did what you wanted to do. Um, you know, there's, there's always a reason in life that my brain's going to say using is a good thing. So I have to constantly do that work to not use, not pick up, not scroll, not watch Netflix, not immerse myself in research, whatever it may be. Um, there's always going to be something that wants me to do that. The best way that I can utilize all the work that I'm doing, though, is I have to be out of the food. I can't do a little bit here. I can't do a little bit there. Um, you know, we've talked a lot about abstinence. It's it's not all of recovery, but I've I'm really realizing that I cannot have a life of recovery if I'm even in the food a little bit. It has to be abstinent. The you know, I'm not going out taking a shot of alcohol here and there. Um, so I can't go out and have a candy bar here and there either. And that's really been my my aha moment of late is that awareness that it takes constant work like you're talking about, Amy, and it has to be work done clean. And if I do the work and I do the work clean, I finally feel hope in my life that isn't there otherwise. You know, for me, what you guys have shared, it just tells me this is why we tell our stories. This is why we share our words, because I recognize me in you and you and in everybody else who walks the path of recovery and who struggles with the disease of addiction. And it just helps us understand and recognize where the red dog, where the disease is cropping up in our life and how it's affecting us. My second 
thing, <laughs> whatever it was, was not, it's a negative, but it's a positive, not counting days. So let me explain. I'm going to keep it really simple because my intention is to live fully and really deeply in these 24 hours in this day and then let it go. And that's a huge change from how it used to be. And you know what? It doesn't always happen. And that's the the human part of it. That's my humanness, the letting go part. But it does happen more often than not. And those days when it doesn't happen and when something drags on and on and causing pain and discomfort, I know to trust the process enough that there's something being brought up in that moment to deal with and to heal. And that's that awareness piece, I guess, that all of you have just been talking about. But this idea, this concept, this notion of counting days, which I think is an overspill for things like Narcotics Anonymous and alcohol, Alcoholics Anonymous and all the rest of it, it just doesn't work for me in the pattern of sugar addiction and food addiction. And counting days is just another way I kind of set myself up to fail and feel shit about myself again. Um, and like I said, with the brain scales, it's a really familiar place. And the red dog knows my weakness around that, where my default position as a woman with the disease of addiction is to pick up and use. Ha ha. Who knew? Anyway, so I've learned nowadays to avoid doing things that set myself up to fail, which is also placing impossible standards on myself in terms of behavior, because I think it just tips me back into all that diet mentality where I was just looping on this mad hamster wheel for 40 years. And that kind of all or nothing thinking. And it, and it's especially in those kind of early days of recovery where all the slips happen and where you're starting to learn about the process of recovery and the whole journey and that slips and trips or whatever are just a natural part of recovery. But where my tendency would be to not only slip, but I think there's an expression about taking the wagon into the woods and burning it, you know, it just like complete complete and utter destruction because I'd fallen off the wagon or whatever. Um, and because that had caused my run of days to be broken. So instead of celebrating the humanness of that event and um, taking the slippers information and data to use to move forward and to rework recovery, I just went back into that old mental loop. I'm a failure. I'm broken. I'm hopeless. I can't do this. It's too hard. It's impossible. Nobody does it. It's not real. It doesn't exist. In fact, hmm, who knew? Maybe I never even had the disease of addiction, um, which is classic denial in case you missed it. And um, very easy place to get into. But, um, you know, it doesn't have quite such a hold on me on these days. I guess it's mindset, but I get a huge amount of comfort living in the now, being in the present moment and in this day. Because to be honest, it's this day for the rest of my life. And it's just this day. So who gives a monkeys, whether it's day 24 or day 107 or day 3022? And goodness knows, I hope I make it to there. But who knows? You know, I don't know. I'm not going to place my ideas and my thought and my attention into the future or even tomorrow. Tomorrow's going to happen, whatever. Don't worry about it. Stay where I am now and do what I can. It's deeply. Ooh, just sit back and really fill myself into the whole day and to live from that place. And that's my intention from each day. And somehow life becomes extraordinary.
That's interesting, um, Kate, that you were talking about days because we've never discussed days amongst us three. And it's something that I thought a lot about. And some people define their recovery by their days. And we all are, our, our recovery looks different. You know, everybody's recovery looks different. And for a little while, I thought maybe I was doing it wrong because I couldn't even keep track of days or I couldn't string a certain amount of days together. So I thought maybe this isn't what recovery is because I can't say I have what everybody else is, you know, saying they have in terms of days. Um, I don't, and I honestly, <laughs> I don't love math. I don't love numbers. And when I dropped that whole thing about days and realized I can still be doing my best without being able to say what I have behind me, that was so comforting. And I just felt a lot of relief knowing that some people do the days and it's really wonderful for them and incredible and it helps them. But for me, it just brings on anxiety and that could ruin anxiety and stress could bring me to something or bring me to a place I don't want to be. So that's just a release that I let go of that. So it's interesting that we both feel that way. And I just feel it's, um, you know, some people say one day at a time and, you know, that's the big slogan from, uh, I'm not sure. Is it um, AA possibly? I'm not even sure where that's from, but somebody said to me um, a couple of weeks ago, one decision at a time. So I don't have my days behind me. I just have my one decision at a time. And that's how I see it. And that's how I move forward and makes me feel a lot better. So it's just funny. We've never spoken about it, but it was such a big piece for me. But um, I did want to mention... um, Another um, aha moment was in my recovery. Another great moment was when we were talking and Kate was recently um, doing a program with relapse recovery. So it got us all into speaking about recovery in general. And I always looked at it in a way where I needed to have all my ducks in a row in order to consider myself healed or on the path to healing or in recovery, like I needed to have my date book out. And I said that I was going grocery shopping Monday morning at 9am and Thursday at 9am, that if if that's what I needed to do, that I needed to have every single room in this house clean in my recovery. There were so many things that I put pressure on myself that needed to get done because I considered that being part of the recovery. And (laughs) And just by speaking with Kate and Erin, you know, I they pointed out you can still be in recovery. You can wake up, you can do your recovery work, you can plan your meals, you can meditate, you can do everything you're doing. But it doesn't mean that just because your room is a mess or you didn't get to the grocery store or or your kid was late to school, that that is a day that you feel you messed up. I just kept feeling. <laughs> that I needed to tie it all together in order to be, let's say, perfect in my recovery. But it's really not about that. Yes, that can happen. All of these things get a little bit better and easier when your brain starts healing. You know, your schedules and your routine, I find it easier. But it doesn't mean that it's a day that I messed up if everything else falls apart or if I lost my or if I lost it, let's say, <laughs> on, on one of my children, um, that doesn't mean I, I'm i not in recovery anymore. It just means I didn't, I might not have handled that situation the best 
but let me reflect on it and maybe I can do better the next time. Had I not even been in recovery, I wouldn't have even said, well, that I didn't handle that so well. Let me reflect and maybe I could turn it around the next time. So both of you helped me understand that and realize that and I'm able to do that. And even if I can't plan a meal, let's say something happens and my meals weren't planned. If I can put together a nice meal, even if it's at the last minute, I'm pulling together a clean meal. That's okay too. I used to think that this is all over because even though if I'm eating a clean meal, it wasn't planned. So I messed up, you know? So it was like, I felt like everything was so strict and just speaking with you helps me realize that is that's, that's not so. So thank you so much. That was, that was great. And <laughs> what a relief, but, um, also, I just wanted to say in reference to what I was talking about before, that from being in Bitten's class, I learned that there is a field of nutritional psychiatry now, and there are doctors that are aware that sometimes an addiction can cause a depression or anxiety. So there are some people out there, some doctors out there that suggest taking away whatever substance is for a certain amount of time before prescribing medication. So Although sometimes medication is needed and maybe this isn't for everybody. I just felt like adding that there is that field that 30 years ago I was looking for that I was hoping for and now it exists and and it's out there. So if anybody needs that help, it's available. Pioneer, Amy, ahead of your time for sure. I I think we could all talk about these things forever because recovery has given us all so much. Um, I think the mental health part of it probably would, could be an episode all to itself. Um, but uh, any closing thoughts that you guys have? Because like I said, we could talk about this forever. We'll just have to save some for future future times. Um, but any closing thoughts you guys want to share before we get out of here? How about you, Kate? Just how grateful I am to have this space as a podcast and that um, finding my voice and being able to speak from that part of me that um, has experienced all of life has been um, extraordinary. It was always there, but was hidden and masked by the addiction. Um, And now it's finding its way out and finding space to breathe and to play and to express and to be. And that's, like I say, life becomes extraordinary. I'm 58. And I'm just learning how to be me. And that's just a gift of recovery. And like I say, I'm so grateful. My closing thought is um, you have to find your tribe to survive. And when I met both of you in the program we were in, um, I asked both of you if you would like to meet once a week because I knew I needed that support. And we've been doing it since then. And it's just showed me how crucial support is in your recovery. And um, I couldn't have done this without you. I wouldn't be where I am without both of you. And just anybody listening to find somebody comfortable, you know, whether it be one person, a few people just that you can meet with either daily or weekly and, and work with, because that's, that's changed everything for me. No surprise that both of the things that you guys brought up uh, is what was swirling around in my head as well. I think one of the first things is, um, I don't think it's so much that recovery brings the opportunities of the things that I need to work on in life so much that 
um, I'm open and can see the opportunities in life because I'm in recovery. Um, I need to work on patience. I need to work on dropping the perfectionism. Um, and recovery gives me a chance to take that pause and to use tools um, and develop those skills that I've struggled with in the past. Um, just like you were talking about, Kate, you know, you're here to find your voice and and it's a beautiful voice. In fact, my sister said she could listen to you all day long. Um, it is a beautiful voice. So keep talking. Um, and the second part of it was the this idea that we need help. All this there is a lot of inner self-work that we're all doing, but we're doing it together and it's it's just so amazing. Um, so yeah, find your tribe and I hope you're as lucky as the three of us are, uh, because we've found a pretty special one, I would say. So, uh, there is plenty more to talk about and, uh, therefore we will be back again sooner rather than later. This is healing for us and we hope that you have all enjoyed it. Thank you so much.